If you were the woman in this gospel, you had a real problem, a spiritual problem, and you met Jesus, and you said, Lord, my daughter has a demon, please help me, and he did not answer you a word, then what, what would you do? You can use your imagination a little bit. What would you do? Would it be like in the gospel or not? Actually, maybe we don't have to imagine too much because um, we all have experiences like this where we go to the Lord, we ask for something, and we get silence in response. So what do you do in those scenarios? We've all encountered this mysterious silence of God. Maybe it can be asking for healing or for help, or it can just be, Lord, I want to meet you. I've heard of you, but I haven't met you face to face, and I want to. All of this, all of this story today, it's, it's supposed to be an encouragement to us who know, who know that experience. Because um, I say often enough for myself, my response in those situations, where you come and you say, this is something that the Lord is obviously interested in. It matters. I'm going to go to him and to, to make my request. And then you get silence. Often enough, my response has been to, um, to give up or to expect less from him, or just to settle and say, well, I guess this is what it's gonna be. I'm gonna stop hoping for a change or for, for a difference. And the problem with all those responses is that um, something has slipped, slipped away. Something precious has, been, has slipped out of my hand in those moments. I have forgotten who God is. I have forgotten his love and goodness, and I have started to treat him less, less as a person and, and more like a functionary, maybe even like a vending machine. Like, well, I guess it's broken today, it took my dollar, and now I'll leave. So we can only make sense of this story, okay, if we're paying attention to that thing that slips away when we're disappointed and when we receive silence in prayer. You know, it's the only way we can make sense of the story and, and deal with those difficult silences. So we start with this, and this is the thing to hold an iron grip on. The fact that God, for each of us, God is the one who loves me most, more than anyone else. God is the one who loves me most. If we don't have that, or if we have a loose grip on it, then the silence will just destroy us, and we will leave very quickly. If it slips, then the conversation of our prayer turns into, maybe I need to get his attention, or maybe I need to pray differently. Or maybe I need to convince him. Or we go to the other things that we use when we're trying to get something from someone else who treats us with silence or a no. Like maybe there's something I can use to manipulate or to leverage. And this is, you know, this is, people do this all the time. We say, well, well, if you do what I'm asking, then I'll never eat chocolate again, you know? Or I'll finally put away my sins or something like that. And we start bartering. In the end though, if we, if we, if we let this slip away, then discouraged, we leave. And this is not what God wants when he re responds to us in silence. So to begin, don't be fooled by the silence. Because what God is doing is he's, he's betting on the trust that he's given you, the firmness that he's given you. Again, the thing that we have to hold a tight grip on, God is the one who loves me most. If we cling to this, with a death grip. If we cling to the fact that God is the one who loves me most and we won't let it slip, then when we encounter the silence of Jesus in prayer, the game, the one who loves you the most is playing, turns out to be, he asks you, do you know how I love you? 
So this is what's happening in the gospel. The unspoken question that Jesus asks in the silence is, do you know how I love you? And our response in this grip is obstinate trust. Not a shaky trust, not a conditional trust, but an obstinate trust. It's like the same kind of energy and strength that we use in stubbornness, but it's put to the right use. Obstinate trust. So that all of our moves in response to Jesus, whatever he says, silence or something else, all of our moves in this game start with, I know how you love me, so I will say this. Or I know how you love me, and so I will do this. The woman in the gospel, the Canaanite woman, has this iron grip on the fact that God is the one who loves her most. And so she engages with Jesus' unspoken question, do you know how I love you? And every move that she makes starts with, I know how you love me. And so I will ask. And then when she gets silence, she says, I know how you love me, and so I'll bother your disciples. And then when she still gets no response, she says, I know how you love me. And so she kneels down before him and says, Lord, please help me. And then when he says, it's not right to give the food of children to the dogs, she says, I know how you love me. And so even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. If that grip of trust slips, she will leave. As soon as it happens, she says, I'm wasting my time here. This is hopeless. But she does not leave because she has a firm grip on this one thing, this one most important thing. God is the one who loves me most. And so when Jesus gives these confusing responses, she is not pushed away, but she's encouraged and emboldened. And so she boldly trusts him and lowers herself over and over. She in some way flaunts his love. She says, what is not up for debate is how you love me. And so I will flaunt it. How great is your love for me? And so she says, in the end, she says, even if I'm a dog, I know that you will help me. It makes me wonder, you know, in, in Genesis, at the fall of Adam and Eve, what if Eve had the firmness of this woman? What would, what would be different if she had the kind of grip on God's love that this woman has? Because with the serpent, when he comes and he speaks to to Eve and fools, Adam and Eve, their trust in God, their grip that God is the one who loves them the most, slips away so quickly. And in the end, they leave. And they ask for nothing more. But the woman will not leave. And she knows, because she knows love, she knows that what Jesus wants in the end is not to discourage us, not to put her off, not, not for her to leave, she knows that what Jesus wants is to be overcome by her clinging to his love. Because this is not a game of cat and mouse. This is not like some sort of competition. This is a, this is a game of love. And lovers love to be overcome by the love of the beloved. That was, that was almost a tongue twister, but I think you know what I'm saying. When you love someone deeply, then you love to be overcome by them, maybe even to be fooled by them. So she knows that what Jesus wants in the end is to be overcome by her persistence and by her trust in his love. In our prayer, when there is silence, do not be fooled. 
Do not be discouraged. Do not be put off. What Jesus asks for is for you to engage with the question, do you know how I love you? Do not leave. That's the end game. That's, that's the worst possible scenario. And you can say at times, Lord, I know how you love me, but I don't want to do this today. I'm tired, and I don't know if I can keep a firm grip on this. Again, the, ba- the, the, the thing not to do is to leave without a word. But to simply say, I don't know if I'm up for this today, you continue to see Jesus as a person in front of you. You can argue with him. You can fight with him. This is what Preston was saying with Mother Teresa. What a great example. Mother Teresa has this iron grip on the fact that God is the one who loves me most. And probably plenty of the time she said, I don't like this. Will you show me your love again? Will you console me? Because my heart is longing for you and there's nothing. But she does not leave. In the end of the gospel, in all of this confusing, confusion from what Jesus says and how she responds, the end of the gospel is wonderful. Because in the end, what we see is the joy of Jesus at her obstinate trust. There are a few times in the gospels where Jesus displays his joy as much as in the end of the gospel today when he says, woman, great is your faith. Because he says, you know how I love you. So Jesus, the one who thirsts for love, the one who says from the cross to all of humanity, this cry of God, since, since the fall of humanity, he says from the cross, I thirst. What has happened in this gospel today is that the one who is thirsting for love has gotten what he desired from this woman, and he is happily overcome by this woman's trust.